Okay, so uh, we're going to be in, uh, in of course, in Proverbs, looking at a another of the major themes in the book of Proverbs. And um, uh, for my kids, we're, we're going to go over this, and it's going to seem, to my kids, it's going to seem very timely uh, because of some recent events that happened in our family. But, uh, but actually, it's not, uh, just so my kids know, it's not the reason I'm, I, I chose this. Uh, particular theme. Uh, so we will start, we're actually going to be kind of all over the place uh, in Proverbs to begin and some other verses. We're going to talk about what what the Proverbs says about wine and strong drink. Wine and strong drink, all right? So let's pray first, and then I want to read you something before we look at the verses. Our Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the work of the the Spirit of God, the grace of God in us, uh, Lord, to make us what you would have us to be, help to help us to grow and to increase and to prosper spiritually and to sustain us, Lord, in affliction and infirmities. And Lord, we do pray for those among us who are unwell um, and who, who need your grace. Please help them. And I pray even as Brother Ari mentioned and, and the verse that he, that he quoted, that they would have a continual feast by having joy. Uh, in their heart. And so, Lord, please just give help and grace to your people, Lord, that we would not, uh, we would live not as uh, this world lives uh, in the, the base places of the earth, but we would live on a higher plane uh, where we enjoy your peace and your joy and uh, contentment and uh, knowing you, knowing uh, the, your faithfulness to us, knowing your guiding hand in our lives. Bless our, uh, our lesson today as we look at this subject. Help us to look at it with an honest eyes and an honest heart and uh, to get from your word just exactly what your word says. And we would, uh, we would apply it to our lives. Um, and so we pray you bless, bless it, but also service to follow. We, we ask you as we have this final service of the year and as we uh, look back on the things you've done that you would, uh, Lord, help us to remember the things that you have done and not be forgetful of your blessings in our lives because we are certainly forgetful often. And so, Lord, bless our time together. Lord, I pray that your, your grace and your help and your spirit would be just plainly obvious among us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read you from part of the church, our church's church covenant. Um. It says this, uh, this is point D in the church's church covenant. So I, the reason I'm reading this is, is I want to make sure I want to make sure it's perfectly clear. The, the church covenant, the church covenant is um, it's basically it's basically a, a statement of what what we're what we're getting ourselves into. You know, you know, what I'm saying a statement of this is kind of what we believe. It doesn't cover all of our doctrinal state doctrinal stances and things like that. But it really deals with practical things. The church covenant deals primarily with practical things. In other words, this is the commitment that we're making to uh, each other, to the church, to the Lord, um, and, and it's articulated in the church covenant in kind of an encapsulated and, and uh, in a summary way. Point D says this. Well, I'll read the, the statement at the beginning, and then I'll read point D. It says, Having been led by the Spirit of God, to receive the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior, and having been immersed in obedience to His Word, 
And having been brought together providentially with this group of believers, I solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with the members of this local representation of the body of Christ. I promise by the aid of the Holy Spirit that, and I'm going to read point D, okay? There's others, but I'm going to read point D for our lesson here. I promise by the aid of the Holy Spirit that I will make every attempt to be honest and exemplary in my conduct, by dressing modestly and appropriately, and by abstaining from anything that would be a detriment to my testimony for Christ, including abstaining from such worldly amusements as watching ungodly movies, gambling, rock music, and dancing. Of course, we could expand upon this, you know, we could get just as specific as we wanted to be, or we could be more general and cover a whole lot of things in one statement, but, uh, but this is as it stands to be free from all oath-bound secret societies and partnerships with unbelievers, to abstain from the sale or use of tobacco in any form, narcotic drugs, or intoxicating drink as a beverage, and to be zealous in my efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. So so this is the church covenant. Now, here's what you have to understand. As a church, the Lord has given to the church... Uh, okay, let me, let me back up a little bit further so that we can understand this m- more clearly. All right, we are a, our church is an independent Baptist church, and I use the term independent with a little i, right? That means we're not, our church is not part of a denomination. It's not part of a group, uh, uh, an association, uh, or anything like that, except it's done voluntarily. So, there is no like group above us that is going to tell us, you know, the standards that we have. And that we, in other words, we look at the scripture and we say, this is what we believe. But in that, in that regard, because, and this is, of course, seeking to follow a biblical pattern where the churches in the New Testament were independent churches, not that they didn't care for one another and pray for one another and work with each other. They did voluntarily. But as a matter of, as a matter of, uh, of the existence of the church, it's, it's an independent church. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Well, as a result of that, that means we look at the Scripture, and as each one of us is a priest of God, we have direct access to the Lord. We have each one of us, from you all the way to me, even the young people that have trusted in Christ, to the older people that have trusted in Christ, all of us equally have the Spirit of God in us and are able to be taught by the Spirit of God equally. Right? That's, that's what the Bible teaches as far as the presence of the Spirit of God, the priesthood of the believer. So each one of us can look at the Scripture and can come to, our, our, come to biblical conclusions about, about what is right and what is wrong, what is, what is truth and what is error. And as a church, you know, on a corporate level, we... Uh, we establish in our church uh, policies and and guidelines and doctrinal persuasions that are that we believe are founded in the Scripture. Now, what about the cases in which there are there are issues and and th- these do exist? For instance, you're not going to find anything about well, let me in, in point five uh, point D rather about you're not going to find anything that that says, that directly addresses rock music by, by name in the Bible, right? You're not gonna, that's what I just read in point five. So as an example, what we do is we take the scriptural principles and, and they've kind of been applied in practical things that are, that we see and experience and know of. Um, 
but just as as a as a contrast, you know, not too long ago we were studying uh, talking about idolatry, and we looked at First Corinthians and how there was an issue of whether Christians could eat that which is had been offered to an idol. Remember that we talked about that with the second commandment, but that's not in the that's not in this. Why not? Because that's not something we we normally you know, we normally have to deal with. So the covenant deals with the things that we are, are normally going to face. And so as a church, even though some, some of these things are not maybe as clearly spelled out as we would maybe prefer them to be in the Scripture, yet we take the principles together and we say, all right, this is where our church is, and this is what we believe, and this is the, the, this is the practice we're going to have. And it's not that we just pulled that out of thin air. No, it's, it's, a, it's an application of the principles of, of God's Word. All right, so that's, uh, you'll see what I mean in just a minute. Because on the subject of, of wine and strong drink and on the subject of alcohol in general, our church has made that the policy of our church. In, in the covenant, it's very clear, right? It's very clear. I don't have any alcohol in my home. None, not one drop. I don't drink it. I don't want to drink it. I, have, I, I will not have it in my home. That's just, and why? It's, that was the case before, before this covenant came into play. But this covenant articulates that, 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 that kind of position. Total abstinence is, is, the, uh, is the position. So, you know, some people call us teetotalers. But this is, the reason I read this is I want you to understand that as we read this, and, and please hear me out, as we read the Bible, it's not, the, the subject of wine and strong Greek is not neat and tidy like we, like we hope, like we would want it to be. There are some difficult things in the Scripture on, on this subject. But see, notwithstanding those difficult things, as a church, we've taken a position taking it all together. Do you understand what I'm saying? And saying, all right, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And so that's, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure that's clear because, you know, when we study the Bible, we have to study what the Bible actually says. And so with that in mind, let's look at a few, a few things in the Bible because one of the big problems when you talk about wine, uh, not just in Proverbs, but also in other parts of the Bible, is we come at this subject of wine and strong drink and alcohol in general with a lot of assumptions because wine and liquor and strong drink and those things are very common in our world. And it's always been that way. It's, very, it's a very common subject. So if I said, if I say wine to you, your mind goes to one thing and one thing only. Your mind goes to a glass bottle that you buy in a particular section of the store or a store with little red dots in Greenville. Not, not all places have the little red dots. But if you're from Greenville, you know what the red dot store is, right? But the red dot store is a place that sells, exclusively sells alcohol, all right? So you think, well, that's where you go to get it. You either go to the grocery store where they, where they have it or you go to the, 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 the red dot store, as we call it. And that's just, that's what wine is, right? So do you drink wine? What you don't think of is a goat's skin that's been dehaired and tied up and 
and the, gra- the juice of a grape poured into it and stored. You don't think of that, do you? But that is exactly how the Bible describes it. So do you see there's a, there's a, there's a disconnect in those things? And now, there's a lot of things that are common, but, but what I'm saying is when, when, you read the word, when you read the word wine in the Bible, you're, we, not you, but all of us are bringing what we see and are familiar with into the subject, and we're reading kind of into it. And what I'm, what I'm saying is in the Scripture, it's not neat and tidy like that so much. And I hope to show you that tonight, uh, this morning. Here's the first thing that's not neat and tidy. When you think of the word wine, when I think of the word wine, oh, by the way, Robert, you won. You want to come get your snack? This is a, a Cam, we, we call it a Cambodian snack, but it's actually from Thailand. But it's safe to eat, I promise. <laughs> well, assume, assuming it's in date. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I want you to, once you try it, tell me how, how you like it, all right? All right, the first thing that comes across when you say wine, when I say wine, is, of course, where we get it, you know, it's a very, very methodical process that gives you the stuff that comes in the bottle with the cork, you know, know, that's what wine is, and it can be nothing else. Let me show you a few verses. First of all, look at Proverbs 3. I'll tell you all three verses. Let's go to Proverbs 3. Isaiah 65 and Joel 2. Proverbs 3, Isaiah 65 and Joel 2. All right, Proverbs 3 says this. Verse number 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. All right, so God says, You honor the Lord with your substance. He's going to bless you. All right, this is a proverb now. Now look at what God's going to do to bless you. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty. Stop. Do any of you have a barn? Raise your hand if you have a barn. You have an actual barn? Do you put food in your barn? No. <laughs> You put equipment, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm saying is when you read this, you, that's foreign, right? That's not, you know, now we understand what this is talking about. This is talking about material blessings, right? So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses, all right, stop. How many of you have a wine press at home? <laughs> okay, you don't have that either. But again, we understand the principle of what's being said here. Thy presses shall burst out with new grape juice. No. See this? It says wine. Now, if you take grapes and you throw them in a huge, how many of you have seen pictures of this? I mean, this is a huge like stone container. I mean, a big one. People can get inside it because that's how they, they trample the grapes to get the juice out. All right, we use big machine presses, right? That's what we do big, huge hydraulic deals that squish it with, you know, like 50,000 pounds of force or whatever. But in that, in the, in the biblical days, they would trample the juice. That sounds really nasty to us, but that's how they would do it. They would squeeze out. Now, when that juice flows out of that press, is that wine in the way that you think of wine? No. 
we would think that is 100% juice, right? Because in our mind, we have this very clear delineation between wine and juice. Why? Because we have modern industrial wine production and we have refrigeration and we're, you know, it's highly scientific, you know, we chemical, the, the yeast content and the sugar content and different chemical contents is in, you know, it's all tested, the quality control and all that stuff. And so you go into one part, not only that, but here's what we also have. We also have regulations as to what age you can buy certain things based upon the alcohol content, right? None of that was present here. They trampled the grapes, the juice come, came out, and the Bible uses the term wine. All right, so that's why you, that's the first thing you have to do is you have to understand that what you, when you say wine and the Bible says wine, we might be talking about two different things. Okay, let's look at uh, Isaiah 65. <clears throat> Isaiah 65 and verse number 8. Thus saith the Lord, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sakes, that I may not destroy them all. Now, a cluster is a cluster of what? Grapes. All right, so you, you hold up a cluster of grapes. We're very familiar with that because you can buy them, right? The juice that is inside of a grape, the liquid, rather, that's inside of a grape, we call juice. Juice. Do we ever call it wine? No. Does the Bible in this verse call that wine? Yes. Okay. Look at Joel 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 24. Joel 2, verse 24 says, And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats, or that's, that's another way of saying vat, as in the the like the press or where the where it would be sto- stored shall overflow with wine and oil once again we're talking about freshly pressed grapes and the liquid that comes out of them now again we call that juice the bible in these verses call, calls it wine now here's here's why I'm bringing this up because generally when when a person when a person takes a position that they believe that it's, it's proper and suitable for a Christian to drink wine, all right? They will say things like, well, Jesus drank wine, all right? And what they're doing is they're taking a modern understanding of wine in 2023, almost 2024, and applying it and projecting it over what they read in the Bible, we are not talking about the same thing. Now, we are talking about it did come from a grape. Grapes are the same. But the wine in Scripture and the wine that we buy in the, well, that people buy in the store, <laughs> although they come from the same source, are a different product. Okay? Because, all right, let me give you an example to help you understand. You, you might be like, well, if it's just the juice that's, that's come out of the grape, why, don't, why doesn't the Bible just say juice? All right, here, let me illustrate the reason for this. 
Um, Brother, y- Brother York, I assume that today when you came to church, you, you drove a vehicle, right? But by using that term vehicle, I have not specified the kind of vehicle, like whether it has eight cylinders or six cylinders or whether it's diesel or gasoline or electric (laughs) or whether it's a truck or a car or a van, right? Or it could be a motorcycle. It could be a backhoe, a vehicle, right? So in other words, when you use the word vehicle, it's, 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 it's broad enough that it represents a lot, of, a lot of different things. And we do this all of the time in English. We do it all the time. We use general words, and they, we have to be more specific. And so if I said, did you drive your truck to church? Well, that, he'd know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, the word wine is, is no different. When you see the word wine in the Bible, we think of it as a word, an alcoholic beverage from a grape. That's what we think of. But in Scripture, all it's saying is, the, the, the juice, the liquid that comes from the grape without specif- specifying its alcohol content. That's what I'm trying to explain. So, so when you see it, this is why you see it sometimes and it's a reference to juice. And you're like, well, that doesn't, that's not how we use it. Exactly. So that's why I'm trying to un- make you understand that when we read this, we have to understand that just because Jesus, all right, let me get, I, who was I talking to about this? Uh, was it David or Brother Ari? I can't remember. Maybe Ben. I don't remember. We were talking about this subject because people say, well, Jesus turned water into wine. You know, if you look at those, those water pots and it says each one of them was two or three firkins apiece, we're talking about large amounts of water. <laughs> I mean, gallons and gallons and dozens of gallons. And so, Sister Rita, what, in essence, we're saying is Jesus had these huge water pots of stone. <laughs> Each one of them had gallons of gallons, and Jesus turned all of that water into, into you know, Chardonnay and distributed it to the guests so they could all get hammered. You see how stupid that sounds? That's what comes of projecting onto the text our own understanding of what it is instead of looking at the Bible and what it says itself. Okay, here's the other thing, and I have to say this before we move on. So I'm trying to illustrate to you that it's, it's, it's not neat and tidy, and we have to look at the biblical understanding and definition of wine. All right, but the second thing is, I have also heard people that would take a position similar to ours with, you know, we're, we're abstinent, right? And they would say, well, wine in the Bible is always non-alcoholic or alcoholic. It's either... Chardonnay or what? I don't, I don't know wine terms. Y'all have to just fill in if y'all know the wine terms. But, you know, it's whatever. It's wine like you get it at the store. It's that or it's juice. And they're, they're clearly separated. But that's not like that either. And I'll show you that in just a minute. <clears throat> All it's talking about is the juice that comes from the, from the grape. That's it. That's it. The question of whether it has alcohol or how much alcohol, that, that question is a different question. And I'll show you that. All right, but here's one thing I want you to understand. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3 for this, uh, this point. If I'm going to be honest with the Scripture, I'm, I'm going to have to show you these verses. Uh, it, it do, listen, it doesn't do any of you, it doesn't do me any good 
to take a position on alcohol or wine or whatever, teaching on the subject, and fail to point out all of the Bible verses. Because what's going to happen is I say, the Bible says nowhere, nowhere anything good about wine. And then you and your Bible reading come across a verse that says something good about wine. And you're like, well, hold on. So I have to be honest with you about that. And there are verses that say good things about wine. All right, Proverbs 3, verse 10. We just read it. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. You say, well, that's juice. All right, well, look at chapter 9. Verse 2. Speaking of wisdom, we'll come back to this passage later, but speaking of wisdom, the Bible says, Wisdom, she hath killed her beasts, she hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished her table. Keep going at verse 5. Look what it says. She says in verse 4, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. And as for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine which I have mingled. Now, we're gonna, it's, that's going to throw you for a loop. Mingle. That means you take the wine and you mix it with water. She has prepared it for her guests. Wisdom has now. That means it's a good thing. She's preparing a spread. Wisdom is preparing a spread for those who are simple so they can come in and, and feast. That's basically what's being pictured here. So if I were to look at you and I were to say, every time the Bible mentions wine, it's bad. Well, that wouldn't be right, obviously. Or if I, was to, if I was to say, if I was to kind of pick and choose, well, this is talking about non-alcoholic wine, which in modern parlance isn't a thing. We call it juice. And this is talking about alcoholic wine. Well, then you have cases like this where it's not specified. It's not specified. <clears throat> so we, uh, we ha again, we have to interpret the Word of God based upon what the Word of God says. Listen, you don't have to be afraid of what the Bible says on this subject. There are some difficult passages that, to be honest, if you want to know what they are, I'll tell you. And you'll have, you'll have a fun time trying to figure out how to fit it into the paradigm that we're looking at. But uh, what the Scripture does say about it is clear. All right. Now, if you lived in... The, if you lived in the, in the 5th century B.C. or 8th century B.C. and you wanted to have a drink, I'm talking about you're thirsty, okay? Or maybe you, had a, you maybe had a festival, you have a, a party at your house or whatever. What are your beverage options? Say again? Warm root beer? Well, okay, that's the first thing, no refrigeration. But what are your options? You can have water. You, you might be able to get some juice from a fruit. Okay, that's, that's possible. <laughs> okay. All right, well, you might also have milk, but without refrigeration, <laughs> without refrigeration milk, I mean, you'd be, it'd go from udder to table. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> that's nasty. I go to the grocery store where milk does not come from cows. <laughs> Some of you have probably, have probably drunk uh, fresh milk. Like, I've never done that. I'm a... Okay. That's interesting. 
think I can handle that better than drinking a glass of it freshly squeezed or milked. Or Like I said, I go to the grocery store where you don't do that. It comes out of a machine. <laughs> they milk a machine, okay? All right. Oh, man. Okay, so, all right, what are your options? You've you got milk, which that's, that's hardly an option. You might have a fruit juice of some kind, but even then, I mean, think about the work, you know, you basically have to pick it and press it right there, which, you know, we have a hard time doing that now with all of our juicers and all that stuff, all right? But anyway, that might be an option. What else? Kind of hard to think of something, ain't it? Water. There's no Pepsi, no soft drinks, no coffee, maybe tea, but I don't think tea was present here in, the, in Bible times. Maybe in India it was present but I doubt it was present here. You're really running out of, of options, aren't you? You know what your option is? Wine. You know why? Because the grapes can be harvested, pressed, and the juice can be stored, later taken out, mixed with water, and presented as a beverage. You don't have many other options. So you, you want to go to somebody's party and they have, you know, they have like a rack of lamb or whatever they, you know, whatever they have. And it's a big, huge party and you got to drink water. So this is why you often, often find, just like we just read, wine in association with feasting. Okay. So <clears throat> now along those lines, so you think of, there, I'm trying to help you think on the basis of the scripture, okay? So you take, you, they harvest the grapes, right? They press the grapes. Now, if you want to drink the fresh juice of the grape, you can absolutely do it. And you know what? When they harvested the grape juice, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's what they did. And the, the Bible often uses the term new wine to refer to that, all right? So, but you would have to do it right then. Like, as soon as it was pressed, here is why. I mean, you can't, you couldn't take all of like all of those gallons of juice that just came out of the, the wine press and drink it all at the same time. Number one, you just can't drink that much. And number two, you wouldn't have any for later. So you would, you would harvest it and then you would drink it all and then you would be drinking water the rest of the year or rotten milk. So what they did is they stored it. People figured out way back from the, before the days of Noah that you could store it. Here's what happens, okay? Well, you, can, you can go ahead and turn to Luke 5, and you'll, you'll see what I mean. Here's what happens. When the grapes are pressed in nature and on the skins of the grapes is yeast. Yeast, all right? Yeast is a bacteria. Or, a, yeah, it's a bacteria, I believe, yeah. Yeah, it's a bacteria. And, but that bacteria naturally occurs in nature. It's in nature already, in, in the environment, and it's on the skins of the grapes. You don't have to do anything to it. You take that grape, you squish it, that yeast mixes with the juice, and then you take that, that juice that has the yeast already mixed into it from the skins of the grape and from the environment, and you store it 
What happens is the, the yeast, which is a bacteria, starts to eat the sugar in the grapes, the grape juice, and the byproduct of that process is ethanol, ethyl alcohol, which is what we call alcohol. So what happens is as that yeast consumes the sugar, it outputs alcohol and the wine become, the, the juice becomes fermented until the point at which the alcohol content rises so high that it exterminates the yeast. That's what happens. At a certain level, the fermentation process stops because the yeast dies because of the level of alcohol itself. I think there's a lesson in there somehow, you know, about sin or something like that. You, you, sin's always fun until it destroys you, and then, you're, and then it, you're get, the game's over. But anyway, now where does that happen? That happens, it's, it's tough to get accurate figures on at what percentage of alcohol that happens, but with the best I could, I could find in my research was around 9 to 12% alcohol is when all the yeast, can, the yeast can no longer live in the alcohol at 9 to 12%. Now, a beer, one beer, an average beer is about 4 to 6% alcohol. So this is more alcoholic than a beer. But here's what you have to remember that once that once that alcohol has once that fermentation has process has has stopped it kind of stabilizes okay it's not going to go rancid because all the the bacteria have died that's why they can keep it a long time and store it and use it for later so what they do is they take it and they mix it with water it's mixed with water now, how is that different than modern alcohol production? <laughs> In modern alcohol production, what they do is they take special yeast that is specifically designed to have a high tolerance for alcohol so that they can drive up the, the alcohol content. And then they produce the wine so that it has a certain level of alcohol and they don't mix it. They don't want to mix it. Now, look at, as our last verse, look at Luke chapter 7. Luke 7. I want to show you. Listen, we're just, we're, just doing, we're just doing kind of a study on what the Bible says on the subject. But as far as this fermentation process that I just described, our Lord Himself, listen to what He said in Luke 7 and verse 30. I'm sorry, Luke 5. I got my verses confused. Luke 5, verse number 36. Listen to this. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. Verse 37. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. Now, when you read that word bottle, what are you thinking? You're thinking of a glass bottle. You're not thinking of a goat skin, which is what it was. You say, what? You see what happened? I've actually I seen a, I knew a missionary. I was at a mission conference one time, and a missionary from from uh, the sub-Saharan Africa brought a, a bottle made from a goat skin. Like 
it looked like a goat skin where the arms and the, the, the arms and legs of the goat, the skin was tied off and it was sealed. And that, that makes you really want whatever was in there, right? And it was, it was exactly what you read in the scripture because what happens and what's being described here is they pour the fresh new juice from the grape into this bottle and that fermentation process starts and the result is carbon dioxide gas. And so that skin is allowed to expand. It expands. But once the skin is well used, it's old, it's already expanded. If you put new, new wine in there, and then it's, it'll burst the bottle because it's already expanded. That's what the Lord is talking about. So when you look at that, I, again, we, like, again we, we want it neat and tidy. We want to think of, you know, of what's in the store. It's not what we're talking about here. This is why it was mixed. Now, here's what I want you to understand. And this is the verse we're going to look at next, next week. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, and strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I felt like I had to give you some background. Because the same Proverbs that, and the same Bible that talks about this fermentation process, and, and sometimes we get a little bit, it disturbs us, you know, it's fermenting. That's what happens when you store grape juice. It ferments. Like that is fact. All right. But the same Bible that talks about that also says wine is a mocker. You see. So it's not like this idea we have in our Bible that, well, Jesus was turning water into wine and they were drinking wine. Everybody's just having a good old time. That's not what we find here. We find the, the proverb, the proverbs of wisdom are saying, you better watch out. You better watch out. That stuff will mock you. That stuff will hurt you. You better use wisdom. You know, you could apply that. Could you not apply that to prescription medication? Right? How many of you have taken oxycodone because you had a serious pain? Right? But how many times has that been abused? Right? How many times has that been taken to the point to where it is far beyond what it's intended to be taken? And so there's different ways you can apply it. So even within, even with that, you can look at it and you could say, well, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Now, I'm not, of course, that's why I read the church covenant at the beginning. I'm not saying that we should drink a little bit. I'm not. Rather, the opposite. And, and that's what we're going to see. But I also think we have to come at it with clear eyes, knowing what the Bible says on it, so that we can address it properly. Because here's, here's the thing, when you're discussing this with somebody else, if you say something that's factually inaccurate, it, it, it's, it actually is going to hurt you. So it's best to come at it and say, okay, this is what the Bible says on it, and this is why we take this position. This is why I don't keep this stuff in my house. Right? All right, let's pray together.